Is sin inherited? Are women punished and demeaned according to Genesis 3:16? For some Muslim objectors to Christianity, contradictions in the Bible are a major point of contention and are utilized to show the falsity in this terrible religion. These may include an attack on Christ's salvific act, sin is not something inherited, and thus how could Christ die for people who didn't actually need saving? Women are seemingly put down into a lower tier according to the Genesis punishment of pain and childbirth. How should we respond to these objections? First of all, our English word sin, unlike many theological terms, is not related etymologically to either Latin, Hebrew, or Greek, for example the Trinity comes from the Latin Trinitus. This is significant because in our modern context, we end up aggregating a variety of terms related to sin that should be kept separate. This is not to say that the word sin is a mistranslation, as often these originally separate terms are related through similar roots, and what they actually signify. In other words, injustice and transgressions and curses and errors are similar concepts, but also have important differences. A brief examination of a handful of Bible verses will serve to draw out this point, and in particular a handful of Old Testament examples, all from the popular NIV. Leviticus 4-3 reads if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Isaiah 5:18 reads Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit, and wickedness as with cart ropes. Hosea 12-8 reads Ephraim boasts, I am very rich, I have become wealthy. With all my wealth they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. Each of these words is entirely different in Hebrew, not simply the verbification of a noun. This similar issue can be found in the New Testament Greek, such as between Romans 5:12, Matthew 16:17, Romans 5:20, Galatians 3:19 and so on. There are many different words here being used for a variety of concepts that are difficult to properly bring into the English language. The point here being, when we discuss the concept of sin in English, we must be careful to make note of what we are referring to. When Christians say sin is inherited, they are referring to a specific meaning of the word original sin. Original sin can refer to the specific original sin of Adam, or to a hereditary stain inherited by those who come from Adam. Romans 5.12 clearly teaches some type of hereditary defect in Romans 5.12, which reads Wherefore is by one man sin entered into this world, and by sin death, and so death passed upon all men, in whom all have sinned. To illustrate the variety of uses of the concept of sin, a brief list will suffice. Original sin. Adam's individual sin. Hereditary stain on all mankind. Actual sin. Commission sins. Omission sins. To further complicate things, sins can further be divided based on their motivation. There are ignorant sins, passionate sins, and true sin which is by malice. There are internal and external sins, mortal and venial sins, and even distinctions made upon the objects materially and formally. So, saying sin is not inherited by the Bible can even be a true statement, but most certainly requires several qualifications, and by no means destroys or contradicts Christianity's tenet of Christ's salvific act. As a general point here, contradictions are alleged for all religious documents. The key word here is alleged. Depending on one's adherence or lack thereof to a particular religion, these contradictions may be viewed as real. For example, in the Muslim tradition, the famous Ibn Rushd took the stance that demonstrative, or scientific, truth can never contradict the Quran, but that there would certainly be issues of contention where a contradiction between the two seemed to arise. There were likewise intertextual contradictions, such as the many abrogations of laws and commands. One famous example of a supposed contradiction is with the Muslim doctrine of creation ex nihilo, likewise shared with most Christians. Similarly, was man created from blood or dust or clay? Which ayah are to be taken seriously?
The key point here is that every religious tradition has its own ways of reconciling these contradictions, and indeed considering the long history of the Old Testament, it can be said that likely all contradictions have been attempted to be reconciled at some point by someone. To briefly touch upon the second argument regarding the punishment of Eve, this is certainly not something that would fulfill the qualifications of an epistemological rebutting defeat or indefeasible reasoning discussions. In simpler terms, if Christ truly rose from the dead, it does not matter what the Old Testament says, or if there are contradictions in the Gospels. One would simply have to develop a theological framework that accounts for problematic Old Testament passages, and contradictions in the Gospels. The Muslim interlocutor in particular is not left off the hook, how do they account for pain in childbirth, and where does the Quran explicitly paint childbirth in an entirely positive light? All of that being said, what is going on with the punishment of women in general with pain in childbirth? Is this something demeaning women, from a Christian or Jewish perspective? Do women have a noble position according to the Bible, or not? To begin, a full quotation of the relevant scriptural passage from Genesis is needed. To the woman also he said, I will multiply thy sorrows, and thy conceptions, in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thou shalt be unto thy husband's power, and he shall have dominion over thee. On a surface-level reading, this passage could be read as perhaps setting up a lower view of women. However, when one turns to the early interpreters of this verse, both in a Christian and Judaic context, a different, broader image arises that includes certain qualifications and a joint punishment for men. Augustine of Hippo writes every woman who is the companion for life of a husband suffers all those things, not indeed as a curse but as necessary evils. Ambrosister writes after sin, God adds to the pain and difficulties of woman's birth, but does not establish a new form of procreation. The power dynamic change between man and women, as indicated by Alcuin of York is not ideal, she doubtless was, under her husband's power even before sin, but with the subjection that works by love, Galatians 5-6, and casts out fear, 1 John 4-18, whereas afterwards it was with the servile fear of subjection, which works by discipline. Ambrose of Milan continues this theme writing. She was to serve under her husband's power, first, that she might not be inclined to do wrong, and, secondly, that, being in a position subject to a stronger vessel, she might not dishonor her husband, but on the contrary, might be governed by his counsel. 1 Pet. 3-7, I see clearly here the mystery of Christ in his church. The church is turning toward Christ in times to come and a religious servitude submissive to the Word of God, these are conditions far better than the liberty of this world. Hence it is written, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and shall serve Him only. Deuteronomy 6:13. LK. 4-8, Servitude, therefore, of this sort is a gift of God. Wherefore, compliance with this servitude is to be reckoned among blessings. Interestingly enough, John Chrysostom sees indeed a beneficial dimension to this punishment, one that rather than bringing women down actually serves to protect them, showing God's great mercy. See the Lord's goodness, how much mildness He employs despite such a terrible fall. As if He is saying, For you have a life free of trouble and distress, rid of all pain and grief, filled with every pleasure and with no sense of bodily needs despite your body condition. But since you misuse such indulgence, and the abundance of good things led you into such ingratitude, Accordingly I impose this curb on you to prevent your further running riot, and I sentence you to painful labor. I will ensure, he is saying, that the generation of children, a reason for great satisfaction, for you will begin with pain so that each time without fail you will personally have a reminder, through the distress and the pain of each birth, of the magnitude of this sin of disobedience. The purpose in putting forth these quotations is to show that there is much more going on in this verse than may first meet the eye and early Christian commentators picked up on this fact and interpreted the verse in a like manner. 
pain and the struggles of this life are a result of sin, but this is not putting women down in an inferior position. All human relationships are broken after the fall, and even man is punished himself. Ambrosister points out that Adam is also recalled to the state in which he was created, but with a decrease of his privileges. God had first placed him in the earthly paradise to simply cultivate the earth and see at once the fruit of his work. But scarcely has he despised the divine commandment, in the hope of finding in the counsel of the serpent a fate more fortunate than that which God had given him, God recalls him to his first condition, but by adding to it sweat and fatigue, the earth will no longer respond to his labors, it will be cursed not for it, but because of its works. God thus shows that his designs cannot be destroyed and that no one can show greater providence. To continue this, from a Muslim perspective on women, perhaps one of the most authoritative scholarly texts on the topic is Dr. Wadud's Quran and Woman. Her one comment on Christianity and women is that despite the centrality of Jesus to Christianity, no similar affirmation of the unique experience of childbirth, as in Islam, is given such detailed consideration in any Christian theological work, not even in the Bible. This statement seems to be lacking serious scholarly research into the topic, which would reveal a plethora of theological works considering the topic, especially considering the previous quotations. Figures such as Ambrose of Milan and Gregory of Nyssa, Patristic Period, and Bernard of Clairvaux, Middle Ages, discuss the topic in their commentaries and sermons on the Gospels. Searching for discussions of childbirth centered around other books of Scripture will only reveal more sources, such as Alcuin of York and Cornelius of Lapide. General medieval theological works, such as those by Thomas Aquinas, include entire treatises on Mary's process of childbirth. The very fact that it has taken over a millennium to have similar discussions in Islamic circles should be indicative of the discrepancies in the argument proposed that women and mothers have high esteem in Islam, not to mention what a historical survey of 7th-century Islamic Arabia will reveal. A challenge should be proposed to any Muslim making this objection to find a similar wealth in the Hadith or medieval treatises of Al-Ghazali or Abdul Qadir al-Jalani or Ahmad Raida Khan. Christianity has long had a theology of women, and there are many more recent works that can be recommended for a survey into the topic. A brief list below will conclude this discussion. The Privilege of Being a Woman by Alice von Hildebrand What is Marriage? Man and Woman, A Defense by Sharif Gurgis, Robert George, and Ryan T. Anderson. Man and Woman He Created Them, A Theology of the Body by Pope John Paul II. Essays on Woman by Edith Stein.